morning. Morning. Okay, this is a, uh, we are continuing in this series, How to Be Rich. It's an interesting series. If you are here for the first time, uh, we welcome you here. It's about um, seeing riches from God's perspective. Everywhere we go, we heard of people telling us how to get rich. But today, I'm not talking about how to make money, but I'm talking about how to be rich in God's sight, in, in heaven. The reason why we are doing this series is that sometimes we find that uh, God has blessed us with riches, but we may not be very good at administering these riches that God has blessed us. So whether you feel rich or not today, or will be rich today in the future, let's learn together how to be rich in God's sight. Um, let me recap what we covered last year, Pastor Kokfai. He's talked about most of us are richer than we thought we were compared to the world, and even compared to the stats here in Singapore. And uh, yes, God has blessed us. So let's embrace it. Let's embrace it with all the responsibility, all the privileges, as well as all the opportunities that's given to us. And also, there are side effects of being rich. We talk about, Pastor Kokfai talked about that, that there are people could be in denial, they claim that they are still poor, therefore stingy, and it can be arrogant, and place your riches, uh, hope in riches rather than in, in God. So that's what we cover uh, last week here. Money have a way to make us do, uh, I would say, crazy things. Well, once a story was told of an uh, old miser. Okay? At his deathbed, he called together three of his closest friends, a pastor, a doctor, and a lawyer. And then he gave them, each of them, cash, 30000 each. And he said that when I die, before they bury me, can you please throw this money onto my coffin so that I can bring the money together with me? The friend agreed. And then the miser passed away, he died. And the funeral service, the friends did what they did. And after the funeral service, three of them gathered together to discuss the doctors, uh, the pastor first wanted to speak. He said, I have a confession. I didn't throw in all the amount. I took 10000 out to give to a church building fund. And then the doctor said, me too. I took $20,000 to build a new wing for the hospital. And then the lawyer, guess who? Okay. With indignant on his face, he said, shame on you. How dare you steal money from the dead, dead man? I wrote him a check and I threw him the check. <laughs> as something powerful, uh, intriguing, as well as uh, mystical about money. People were willing to do anything just to gain a little bit more. That's why Jesus talked a lot about money, more than anything else. And that's a topic that I realized that I myself also have to be continuing learning. learning. Today, as I, as I prepare, it's something that God has touched upon my heart, something that I also God has convicted me to put to better use the riches that He has blessed me. So today we're going to learn. We're going to learn how to be rich towards God. How to be rich towards God. Three things. The first thing is that we need to realize that we are all just stewards. Stewards. The money we have is not our own. We are not the owner. We are merely the steward of what God has entrusted to us. So who is a steward? 
A steward is someone looking after another person's property on behalf of the other person. He don't own it, the owner owns it, he just manages it. And the steward needs to know the owner, what the owner's desire, the owner's goal, the owner's plan, as well as the accountability system. At the end of the day, what is he accountable, uh, accountable for? The Bible is full of passages telling us, reminding us constantly that what we have here is not for our own consumption, our own use. We are just merely a, a manager or a steward here. Psalms 24, it said this, The earth is the Lord's, everything in it, the world and all who live in it, for He founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. God made it, God owns it. And God, interestingly, never gave us absolute proprietorship in anything. We are to be His stewards. And Jesus' teaching also in several of the parables, one of them it highlights, I'm not going to go through in detail, just briefly here. There's a parable of the talents, or in ancient time is referring to the goals, where Jesus, and there was a story about how the owner, the master, entrusts to three of his servants. At the end of the day, there is a time of accounting. And the word entrusted is a desire for the person to multiply. Multiply what has been given there. And that is stewardship. That's what God has done to us, given to us. And that is foundations upon our lives. Everything we have for us to enjoy is because of God's provisions, because of God's grace and goodness. He put into our hands for our administrations. One day, as our preeminent master, He's going to hold us accountable for how have we manage what He has given to us. Not just our money, but our time, our talent, and everything. A boy was asked, who is a steward? And the boy gave this answer. He said, a steward is like a person who treats his life like a ship, full of cargoes, of many things, on his way to many people, to many places. God is the owner. I'm the captain of the ship. He holds me responsible for distribution. He holds me responsible for distribution. Everything I have, to many places. And some of us who have been a Christian for some time, this is not a new idea. And sometimes we can give an intellectual assent to this. And we feel that, yes, on my mind, I know I'm a steward, but we live and act as if we are the owner. Why? Because we work hard for the money. This money, I've gained it for myself. It's for my views. But sometimes we fail to realize that our intellect, our abilities, our physical bodies, everything, our breath, it's all dependent on God. God is the one who has given us all these things. And therefore, one day, there'll be accounting. We seek to glorify the Lord, the Lord to the investment of our money, our time, our t- treasure. Let me share with you a story. I was preparing for this. I was reading through some books by um, Benny Hall and also another book by Dr. Bill Bright called As You Sow. He shared a story about this guy called Arthur DeMoss. Arthur DeMoss lived in the 60s and 70s. He was a very gifted uh, as well as godly businessman. He built a very successful uh, insurance business that at the time, in the 70s, his fortune is like more than than half a billion dollars then and now that's a lot of money. 
But suddenly, during an economic crisis, recessions, he lost, within four months, he lost $360 million. Average of $3 million a day. That's how much he lost. That's, it's like, for me, it is going to be a lifetime not able to think about that money, but he lost it $3 million a day. One would think that probably he will be devastated. He will cut back on his giving. But this is what he said. He was still rejoicing in the Lord. He said, the Lord gave me everything I have. It all belongs to Him. And if you want to take it away, that is His business. I don't lose any sleep. I still have a wonderful family. I have my lifestyle remain unchanged. I will do anything God wants me to do. If He take away everything He entrusted to me, calls me to the mission field, I'm ready to go. All He needs to do is to tell me. That's the man who sees his life as a good steward. In fact, when he passed away in 1979, age of 53, he left behind $200 million to be given to an Arthur DeMoss Foundation, which have established. The purpose of this foundation is to give towards the proclamations of the kingdom of God. And today, it's still giving up people. And that's a man who recognized his life is the steward. So if you want to be rich towards God, we must recognize you and I, we are not the owner of what we have. We are merely a steward, a manager. Second thing, we need to guard against greed. Greed. Greed and money goes hand in hand. And there was some person, some, there was a person who came to Jesus talking about money. So we're going to look at this passage and then later on Jesus mentioned, uh, gave him a story a story in the form of a parable. First, there was a request. Someone in the crowd said this to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Why this guy come to Jesus, to ask Jesus to, to divide? Perhaps at the time, Jesus had talking a lot about money and perhaps his brother is around. He said, Jesus, please talk to him. Let him divide the inheritance because I deserve a particular share. So it's about money. And Jesus gave him a reply. The reply was this. Man, who appointed me a judge or arbiter between you? Jesus always say that he is a judge. Final day, he's a judge. But here, he said, I'm not a judge. Why? Jesus is trying to tell the person, I'm not appointed for this kind of divisions. You don't understand my mission. If you're coming... If you come to me asking me to divide your inheritance before you give me your everything, you don't understand what I'm appointed to do. You don't understand my missions. What is Christ's mission? Christ said, my mission is to tell you what is life, what your life really consists of. It is not about material possessions. I'm not to give you the thing that you think you need to give you life. I'm here to be your life. This man is talking about the top layer of questions. Jesus is answering a foundational questions. This man said, Jesus, come and fulfill my agenda. Jesus said, no, I'm coming to give you a new agenda. That's why Jesus said, I'm not, who appointed me to do this? And even if I give you, I'm not going to help you. And then he gave them, he gave the man a rebuke or a warning. And he said to them, watch out. Be on guard against all kinds of greed. 
life does not consist of abundance of possessions. All kinds of greeds. First of all, we must recognize that greed is subtle. That's why Jesus said, watch out, watch out. You see, people can confess that I have lied. People can confess I have stolen things. People can confess I have problem with lust. But very, very seldom people will confess, Pastor, I'm greedy. I spend way too much on myself. Those things that used to be necessity, right now, I, oh, those things that used to be luxury, uh, those things that used to be luxury is right now a necessity. I'm spending way too much on myself. I'm materialistic. Help me. Very seldom people will come and confess about this. Why? Because if you stole some, if you steal something, you will know it. If you lie, you know it. But when you're greedy, sometimes we are blind towards it. We don't even recognize it. Many people will say, I'm not greedy. I'm not spending a lot of money. Actually, I'm actually a bit broke. I'm not greedy. But it does not matter how much you have or how little you have. Greed can easily set in and it's very subtle. That's why Jesus gave that warning to that man. And secondly, greed poisons. Poisons the way we view money. Greed in such a way can make us such a way that if you don't have money, you will envy and then you will resent those who have it. You envy those who have it. Why don't I have it? And then you will resent those who have it. And if you have it, you will feel that it is not enough and you need more and more. So greed can poison the way we view money. John Wesley, a great preacher, English preacher, he's the father of the Methodist movement and he's the one that through his preaching and teaching he caused a revival in England. He had this to say, he said, when I have money, I get rid of it quickly, lest it find its way into my heart. Extreme in this area, but he recognized the danger of greed and money can have on his heart. He desired to give it away. And thirdly, about greed, is that greed assumes that everything that we have is only for our consumption. It's only for our consumption. Jesus, later on, he began to teach the disciples a very interesting definitions of greed. Greed is that, take it that everything that I have is now for me alone. Maybe you have known of people who have owned a lot of things, but they are not greedy. And you know people who own little, but then you know that they are, they are greedy. They went on to realize that everything he has is for their own, is for myself. That's why Jesus told them a parable. And this is the parable where he expands about greed. He told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. I will say to myself, you have plenty of grain. Lay up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. His assumption, this man, is that you save it now so that I can consume it later. If it came to me, it is for me alone. It is a smart guy, a good lesson on saving for the future. To the hearers at the time, they might view that this guy has favor with God. That's why he has so much. 
he have much wealth. God is pleased with him. But the next sentence caught people by surprise. Jesus said to him, You fool. You fool. Fool in the Bible is not someone without the thinking capacity. No. It's someone that is out of touch with God's reality. Fool is not absence of ment- uh, mental equipment. But fool is the presence of an outlook that hates God's definitions of reality. He refused to accept God's definitions of reality. He only accepts his own definitions of reality. He was someone that is wise in his own eyes. In other words, he was in denial, usually blind and self-deceived. And that's what money can do to us. And Jesus rebuked that person. You fool. God rebuked that person. And God said to him, this very night, Life will be demanded from you. Then you will get what you have prepared for yourself. This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves and is not rich towards God. The next line perhaps took everyone by surprise. God told the man, your time is up. Your time and your wealth needs to correlate. Your opportunity is gone. And this surprising twist can directly mirrors a surprising twist we can expect even in our own lives if you don't heed God's or Jesus' uh, message here. He's making a point. What is the point he's making? Whenever we have more than we need, our natural consum- uh, assumptions is that these things is only for my own consumptions. And that's the wrong mindset here. Jesus is exploring, exposing the flaw. If we simply just store up for ourselves and not reach towards God, everything we possess will be a total loss. But if we take advantage of the times when we have more and then we don't just keep for ourselves, but we gave and we reach towards God, then it will not be lost anymore. And next, greed blinds us to the coming world. Money makes the man a fool because it blinds him to the coming world. Uh, money spiritually blinds him to the reality about the two worlds that we have. He saved as if this life, this world is all that is. But if you look at the Bible, we recognize that the Bible talks about two worlds. The present world as well as the coming world or the future world. In 1 Timothy, Paul had this to say. Pastor Kokfai mentioned about this passage last week. I want to expand a little bit more today. Command those who are rich in this present world, in this present world, to do all the various things that I'm going to talk about later. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may lay hold of the life that is truly life. There is more to this life than this life. What we see here, the material world, this is the present world. We cannot see what we cannot see now, but where we will be going is the future or the coming world. The man in the parable said that I can have this, I can have that because I saved. He thought as if that this material world is all that is. God said, one day you will die. And who will get what you have? How much do, you leave, do we leave behind? 
when we die. Some, a little, no, all, everything. Everything we leave behind. If we spend on things that one day will be destroyed or be gone, these things will not last. But there are some things that will last. And these are the things that you need to invest in. The kingdom of God, the people of God, the word of God, and people whom God treasures. That is what things that will last. Greed blinds that man towards the coming world. That's why he lives as if this present material world is all that is. So because of money, when we have more, there is a subtle, it's a, a subtlety in it. You, greed can set in. It poisons us and assumes that everything we have is for our consumption only. We forget to share, to give, and then we forget about the coming world. I was reminded of, uh, by Rick Warren in his book, Purpose Driven Life. He said this, this life is only a temporary assignment. It is a trust given to us. In this life, we have many opportunities to impact both this world as well as the future world. What we do in this world will affect, affect the future world. There's more at stake than what we see around us. So, don't miss this opportunity. If, you view, if we view our wealth through the lens of eternity, it will lose its grip on us. And there's more at stake than we imagine. That's why Paul encourages, and in fact, Jesus also said this, lay your treasure in heaven. Lay your treasure in heaven. Just now I mentioned the passage there by Paul writing to Timothy. He's talking to people who are rich or people who will be rich. These are the things that you need to tell them and to be aware about. First of all, he said this, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, which who richly provide us with everything for our enjoyment. Some of us have yet to go up to the working world. One day you are going up into the working world. Your wealth will accumulate. And some of us have already been working. Your, our wealth has accumulated. When our wealth accumulates, some things begin to shift. That's what Paul is trying to say here. What is the thing of shift? That is a migration of hope. Hoping in God towards hoping in stuff. When the hope migrates, our hands begin to close. We begin to hoard because we hope in the stuff. We think that we can save our way into safety, into security. Our mentality can become this world is all that is. But Jesus today remind us, Paul also remind Timothy to remind the people, lay up yourself treasures in heaven. Jesus said this, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Where you put your money, there your heart will be. Money and possession reveals our real priorities. If you and I lay up treasures in heaven, our heart will be there because that is where God is, that is where we will be. 
wealth will lose its grips and then we can be reached towards God. How to lay out treasure? Let's continue with the passage there. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. The first thing to do where we can lay up treasure in heaven, Paul says, is what? To do good deeds. To do good deeds. The more we have, the more opportunity we have to do good. The more we have, the more opportunity we have to do good, to bless. Let us be rich in good deeds. Don't let all the riches we have be consumed only for ourselves. The extra is not only for our consumption. The extras are meant to help us to do good deeds. John Wesley, I've introduced just now, the great picture. He talks about money. He said money is a great tool. In one of his sermons, he said about the, the, this excellent gift of money. Let me read to you a portion of what he shared. He said here about money, it is an excellent gift of God, answering the noblest ends. In the hands of His children, it is food for the hungry, drink for the thirsty, raiment or clothes for the naked. It gives the traveller and the stranger where to lay his head. By it, we may supply the place of a husband to the widow and of a father to the fatherless. We may be a defence for the oppressed, a means of health to the sick, of ease to them that are in pain. It may be eyes to the blind, as feet to the lame, yea, a lifter up from the gates of death. It is therefore the highest concern that all who fear God know how to employ this valuable talent, that they may be instructed how it may answer the glorious ends in the highest degree. Money have this power to bless, have this power to, to do a lot of good deeds. He go on to, to sum up with this. Gain all you can. Save all you can. Give all you can. Give all you can. Do good deeds. Do good deeds to people. And secondly, how we can lay up treasure in heaven. Paul say, be generous and willing to share. Be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Not this earth only, but life to come, where we will be, the coming world. Why this command from Paul? Paul, I believe Paul have these assumptions that when people are rich, somehow they are not as generous, they are less willing to share. Last week, Pastor Kofai mentioned about this. The more people make, the less they give away in terms of percentage. They might give a bigger amount, but in terms of percentage, they give less. Rich people give large amounts, 
but smaller percentage. Because it's difficult. It's difficult. Why do we feel, why are we sometimes not generous? I've asked myself, why am I not as generous? If I were to ask you today, are you rich? Most of us say, no, I don't feel rich. I don't feel rich. When do we feel rich? When we feel rich, when we feel that we have margin. When there's margin. And this margin keeps on moving. It gets increased and increased. Let me tell you, there was once in my life I feel quite rich. That was when I was 16 years old. I got no worry. I got no bills to pay. I had my first uh, job. I was working in the, um, in the hotel, in the, uh, they call it, uh, the coffee house. I worked from 2 p.m. all the way to uh, 12 a.m. Served there, and I got my first paycheck. It was 100, I think it was 160 ringgit. To me, at that time, it's worth a lot of money. And I look at my bank account, I work for a month and a second month, it accumulates, it grows, because I got no bills to pay. All the money I earn is for myself. I have large margin. I can buy quite a lot of things, but I tell myself, no, I'm not going to buy those things. I'm going to keep it. I'm going to increase this margin. At that time, I feel rich. We all feel rich when we have margins. And when we have margins, we are more willing to share. Unfortunately, we always feel our margin not enough. Therefore, we are not so generous. We are not willing to share. We better keep it for ourselves. Let us be prudent. Let us be prudent. But let me tell you, God has a lot to say about this margin. God say, I will bless you with margin beyond you could think about. If you give, you have to see with the eyes of faith of the generosity of God to bless us with sufficient margin, more than enough margin, so that as we give, the margin will keep on increase so that we can continue to be generous. Let me read to you some of the incredible promises from God about this area of generosity and margin. Luke 6, God say, Give. It will be given to you. Your margin will increase. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, it will be poured into your lap. By with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. You know this picture? I was reading a book by Benny Ho. He said it reminded him of the Kachang Pute man, the guy who sells peanuts with the, the cone. Okay, you know the cone, they sell in the cone. And then uh, when I was younger, some of you are, you buy from Kacang Putai Man, and then they will, they will put it, and you want the more extra, what do they do? They will shake it a bit, and then there's some more gap, and then you put some more. Correct? This is what this verse is talking about. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, it will be poured onto your lap. When? When you give, the margin only comes when you give. And that's the promise of God. Second Corinthians chapter 9. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly, you give little, you will reap little. 
Whoever sowed generously, he will also reap generously. Your margin will increase as you give. Next promise. Now he who supplies seed to the sower, bread for the food, will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your right, your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous in, on every occasion and through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. To God. This is our God. A God who is so generous who wants to bless us. And then in Proverbs, it said, A generous man will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. This is our generous God who promised to give us margin as we give. I want to share with you two stories from the book As You Sow by Dr. Bill Bright that illustrate this, uh, um, these promises of God. Deborah, the first story, he was a missionary serving overseas. During her break, a fellow, she came back to the United States and then she, when she came back, she learned that her, one of her neighbor's son is seriously injured, was sick, and the family has no insurance and was suffering financially as, as well as physically. Concerned about the situation, Deborah went to her bedroom and she began to pray, say, God, what do you want me to do? She felt a nudge from the Lord to give to her neighbours. And then she checked her bank account, $200. That's all she had. Then she think, 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 okay, God, how about I give 25, 10%, oh, more than 10%. And with 175 left over, she felt she could survive the rest of the month. She don't have a lot, but she's still willing to give. So she waited upon the Lord. Then she felt another nudge from the Lord. The Lord said, give $100. That's half of what she had left. And she had a problem. She wrestled with the Lord for a while. And finally, she wrote a check, $100. He said, God, I've done what you said. You take care of my needs. With a sense of joy, she took the $100 check and she gave to the neighbor. And the neighbor was greatly encouraged by her generosity. Two days later, she found a check and, uh, in the house, in the, in the mail, came in the mail, $100. Five days later, another friend dropped by and said, I've always wanted to give you this money, but I always forget, put it. Now, I felt impressed to give it to you, $200. At the end of five days, she received a total of $500. She says she stood in awe of God. She gave 100, God blessed her with 500. She discovered the privilege of giving. That's the first story about Deborah. Another story is about Don Preston. Don Preston, he considered himself as just an average person. At the age of 12, he found his first job working in the grocery store. Right from the beginning, he determined to give 10% of his income to the Lord, to the Lord's work. Through the years, he worked hard and God blessed him abundantly. At the age of 29, he began to have his own uh, meat business, retail business. So together with his family, they decide they're going to give 15% of their income. At the time, their annual income, yearly annual income is just $6,000. So they say they're going to give 15%. As they give, God blessed their income immediately. From 6,000 annual income increased to, to 21,000. 
the next year. And then 37,000, 62,000, 85,000, 100,000, and more a year. And then at the end of the 15 years, he sold away the company. He went into Christian ministry, self-supported. He have enough, his whole family, they went to serve the Lord in the mission field. After two years serving in the mission field, he discovered that, hey, maybe I should go back to business and earn the money and support the nationals in the mission field because the nationals, they only need $100 to maintain. It takes more to maintain me as a family in the mission field. So he committed to the Lord, said, Lord, if I were able to give to you $50,000 a year, I can contribute $1 million in 20 years. In 20 years, I can give $1 million. He determined to want to give $1 million to the Lord. So together with his family support, they come back, they start a, a, a new business to, with his son on a missionary business. He began to pursue a 20-year course to give a million to the Lord. The money he earned, he set aside 50% of his income. 33% he paid to the tax. The rest, he lived modest, modestly for himself. And God blessed him more than he ever dreamed of. Instead of 20 years, within 10 years, he already raised $1 million. And he gave that $1 million to the Lord for the enlarged uh, extension of God's kingdom. And then he began the second million plan to continue to work in the Lord. These are two examples of how people have experienced God's blessing, God's increasing their margin through generosity as they give to the Lord. But there's a word of caution here doc, uh, written by Dr. Bill Bright as he shared this too, sorry. He said this, don't be disappointed if God doesn't provide you with immediate financial return as he did with Deborah and Dawn. There are various possibilities, God's blessings, God's blessing on you. And God's blessing on you are endless. He may have a different plan for you. He said, God knows your true, true needs, but you must give Him the freedom to do what is best for your life. He may give you improved health and strength to do your work. He may lead you to a better job, may help you to decrease your expenses, may change your spending habits so that you can live better on your present income. Or He may teach you to be content with what you have so that you can enjoy a greater sense of fulfillment in your life. God's blessing upon your life can come in various ways. But the two stories I mentioned, it's a more dramatic story, but God can bless you in different, different ways. So the question for us, beside the promises of God, how can I be generous so that I can lay treasure in heaven? I can do good deeds. I can be generous. I can share with people who are in need. I want to end by telling you to remember our Lord Jesus Christ. Our Lord Jesus Christ who became poor to make you and I rich. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor so that through His poverty might we, you through His poverty might become rich. Christ, Son of God, rich in heaven, glory, full of the glory of the Lord. He came down as a poor man to make you and I rich. He came down to the cross to die for me, to die for you, to make you rich. The spiritual blessing God has for us. He gave up His entitlement so that we can be blessed. One way you know that 
Jesus is precious to you is that nothing else is. That's what Charles Spurgeon said. Everything else is expendable. Money and possession isn't precious to you anymore. These things don't take a hold on you when you realize the richness you have in Christ Jesus who was rich to make us, uh, who was rich and came down as a poor man to make us rich. This is what God has for us. And this is what God wants us to be, to be rich in His sight. Let's imagine for a moment what would happen to our community, to our church, to our country if every one of us is generous with our good deeds, willing to share with people. Imagine all of us going out with what we have, we give. We give first. And when we give, we save better. We spend less. And then giving redirects our heart. Imagine the face and the reputations of Christians will change. Christians will not be known for what we are against, up against. Rather, we will be known for our generosity, extraordinary love expressed through our giving. In the New Testament, that's what happened. That's what revolutionized the world then. Their generosity, their giving. Our giving, our service will not be in vain. In fact, our giving, our sharing has more potential to change the world than anything else, than anyone else. Extraordinary giving is extraordinary powerful. And you and I are giving this gift and trusted with this privilege. I invite the musicians to come forward. I'd like us to just individually come before the Lord and say, Lord, today, what are you speaking to me? Today, Lord, what are you speaking to me? If the Lord impress upon your heart to increase in your generosity, take this time to just commit to the Lord. Let us bow together. Bow our heads and close our eyes in prayer. If today the Lord is speaking to you to be generous, if there is a specific individual, a specific cause, a specific area, the Lord is touching you today to give and bless by faith. I want to pray for you. If this is what the Lord is speaking to you, I want to pray for you. Just raise your hand quickly, come down, and I'll pray for you. Yes. Yes. Any more? Felt the Lord is touching you impressing upon your heart to be more generous or to give to a specific cause or individual. Okay, let's pray. Lord, you see those hands that have been raised, those people whose heart you have touched. We may not have much, but what we have, Lord, we want to give because you have given us so much. Help us, Lord, to be generous. Help us, Lord, to be willing to do good deeds with all that you have given to us. We thank you, Lord. 
in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's close with this song. Let us rise. Jesus Christ, I think upon your sacrifice. You became nothing for out death. Many times I wondered at your gift of life and in that place once thank you. You are rich, but you became poor to make us rich. Thank you, Lord. I pray that God, our church, every one of us, will be rich towards you, rich in good deeds, rich in sharing, rich in blessing other people, not just for our own consumptions, but rich towards you. And we thank you, Lord. We praise you in Jesus' most precious name. Amen. Thank you. Please proceed.